Welcome to this week's episode of The Read Out Loud, a weekly biotech podcast from Stat. I'm Damian Garde, recording from Stat's New York City Outpost. I'm Adam Feuerstein, coming to you from Stat's worldwide headquarters in Boston. And I'm Rebecca Robbins, recording from Stat's San Francisco Bureau. It is Thursday, March 7th, and that marks something of a milestone for The Read Out Loud. It means that we have been doing this podcast for exactly one year now. We had been planning to do a special birthday show today, but then this happened. The commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, is expected to resign in about a month. That departure. FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb rudely ruined our party by announcing that he's quitting. So instead of a party, we're going to bring you a special episode dedicated entirely to all the intrigue and implications surrounding Gottlieb's resignation as America's top drug regulator. So pour yourself some almond milk and take a pull off that jewel pen, because first we will break down the news about what we know so far about Scott. Then we'll speculate about why Gottlieb left and who might replace him. Finally, we'll roast Gottlieb Comedy Central style with a look at his legacy. But first, a word from our sponsor. Do you love science podcasts? Tune in to CRISPR Cuts, Synthigo's official podcast dedicated to the world of genome engineering. In each podcast episode, we invite a CRISPR expert to talk about their work, offer their views regarding the increasing role of CRISPR in our lives, and help draw a line between its potential and hype. Check out our podcast episodes at synthigo.com forward slash stat. That's S-Y-N-T-H-E-G-O dot com forward slash stat. So joining us today to talk about Gottlieb's departure is our stat colleague, Matt Herper. Matt will stick around for the whole episode to help us break down the news. Matt, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks. Really? I'm staying the whole time? (laughs) Contractually, I think. So let's take it from Tuesday, which is when we found this all out. What happened? Well, um, Scott Gottlieb, the commissioner of the FDA, quit. And he did so in a way that surprised a lot of people. I don't think people would have been shocked if he stepped down, but it came kind of suddenly. Now everyone in the pharmaceutical industry in particular is trying to figure out what happens next. And let's step back and talk about why Gottlieb quitting as FDA commissioner is a big deal. He's the head of a a large agency in the government, but yet like when this happened, it almost seemed like in our world, like time stopped. Why is that so important? There are a couple reasons. One is that Gottlieb has done an exceptional job at being FDA commissioner and has kind of remade the role by using it as a bully pulpit. Um, A lot of the time, FDA commissioners have kind of seemed to be running scared from the rest of D.C. He took the bull by the horns and made constant announcements and was out there arguing for the agency day in and day out. Um, So you really felt his presence. Another reason is that people were terrified of the other people that were being floated for the job before he got it. And and Matt, I think, you know, as you and I wrote this week, uh, you know, sort of a hot take on his departure is that in a lot of ways, he was kind of the ideal FDA commissioner for the biopharm industry. You know, he was a guy that embraced that innovation mantra. You know, he was a guy that did a lot to kind of modernize the FDA to sort of streamline the drug review process. And he was just seen as, you know, kind of a friend of the industry in a way that helped them develop new drugs and get those drugs approved. But what's also interesting is he was actually, people in public health liked him too. He managed to kind of balance those things in a way that is very difficult. So Rebecca, let's go over the reasons that Scott gave for leaving the FDA. 
So Gottlieb is quitting in about a month. He'll step down in a few weeks. He lasted in the role almost two years. Let's hear from him in his own words about his decision to step down. I was commuting from Westport, Connecticut with three young kids. I would get home late Friday night, have dinner with my wife, see my kids Saturday, work all day Sunday, and be back on a train Sunday night. Two years of that got hard. Mm -hmm. uh, got hard in the family. So what you just heard was Scott Gottlieb speaking on Wednesday at an event put on by the D.C. newspaper The Hill. So for listeners who might not have been following Gottlieb's confirmation process closely back in 2017, who is Gottlieb? What is his background? So Gottlieb is, is kind of a fascinating amalgamation of a lot of things. He is a tried and true Republican. He came from the American Enterprise Institute, or at least that's one of the hats that he has worn. He's also a venture capitalist who came from NEA, which I believe is still the largest VC firm in the world and probably the history of the world. And he's a physician and a cancer survivor himself. And so before he was nominated for this post, we knew a lot about Scott's opinions on a lot of things because, and in fact, one of the people on the line knows this very well, Scott was a contributor to Forbes. So he wrote a lot of advice about what the FDA ought to do um, long before he was ever in the running for running the agency, which, of course, he became uh, when Donald Trump was elected in 2016. And we should also note that he, he previously worked at the FDA and for CMS as well. And what I think is so interesting is, you know, back in 2017, during his confirmation process, there were so many people concerned that Gottlieb would be too cozy with the drug industry, that that was sort of the big thing to worry about with, with Gottlieb. And yet we saw Gottlieb, and we'll get into this more during his tenure, become this sort of public health champion taking on tobacco aggressively, and I think being well-liked um, in the drug industry, but not too cozy by by any means. The tobacco story in particular was, was a really interesting evolution. Viewing this as one of the big opportunities, that if you reduce tobacco use, that's going to have a bigger public health impact than anything you do with drugs. Initially, there was kind of this thinking that maybe the idea was going to be re reducing tobacco in cigarettes and maybe moving people to things like e-cigarettes that are less risky. But then there was this whole problem of teenage use of e-cigarettes, and Gottlieb really moved to cracking down on this kind of nascent vaping industry. So there was kind of this movement where it was very clear that he was thinking very much about his legacy and about the public health impact of what FDA did. So separate from tobacco, Matt, as you mentioned, uh, Gottlieb was almost extraordinarily popular among the drug industry that he regulated. So what was the reaction, you know, whether from investors or people in companies to his resignation? So, Damien, you know, the immediate reaction to the news was, uh, you know, biotech and drug stocks fell. And that's, you know, that's really just a reflection of, you know, the fact that he, he was well liked and and that, you know, his resignation sort of raises a lot of concerns or there's just more uncertainty now as sort of what's going to happen moving forward. There was also just a wake on Twitter. I mean, people really emoted about his departure. Yeah. And I was struck by how cross-cutting it was. I mean, there were the sort of usual suspects of, of Wall Street types who liked him, of biotech company types who, who were kind of cut from the same cloth. But also, you know, as we hinted at before, public health people who are not always applauding of uh, American Enterprise Institute alumni, also kind of mourning Scott to the extent that when Public Citizen came through with a tweet basically saying good riddance, I was weirdly refreshed. Like it was nice to just see some negativity, um, which is a weird thing to say about the internet. But I was I was kind of exhausted by the love fest for Scott Gottlieb. Salim Syed at Mizuho also had 
He put out a survey to both investors and companies. It was anonymous. You know, there were comments an investor wrote him, Gottlieb was the best pick President Trump made. He will be very hard to adequately replace as he had both the trust of Democrats and Republicans on Capitol Hill. A company said, this is disappointing. Dr. Gottlieb was well-informed, reasonable, and seemed to be nonpartisan. The uncertainty of who, what, what policies come next adds some additional risk to the drug development process. So people really did feel his departure here. And I think that bipartisan note is particularly fascinating to me. Our colleagues Lev Fasher and, and Nick Florco had a story, I think, on Wednesday, um, speaking to staff from Senate and, and House members and also members themselves who basically said Scott Gottlieb was an extraordinarily available person, which is unique in the Trump administration, also unique among FDA officials. He truly was there to do the job. And there is kind of this impending vacuum, I think, in the minds of people of like, well, who's going to fill that role? And will they be similarly professional? He was texting with everyone constantly, and that's going to be impossible to replace. The next person to have that this job probably will not replicate that. So let's get back to the the reasons why Scott Gottlieb decided that now was the time he wanted to leave the FDA. Now, we heard him speak at that uh, event where he talked about, you know, wanting to spend more time with his family and the difficulty of, you know, working in D.C. and and having a family that lived in Connecticut. From what we know, Matt, I mean, how much of that is true and sort of how much, if, if any, did other factors come into play here? Well, it's entirely true. Everyone knew that, that this had been wearing on Scott. Um, and there had been kind of a buzz that he may not stay forever. I don't think there was an expectation he was going to finish out Trump's term. So that's all well and good, but I feel like you're kind of burying the lead here because I remember uh, around the turn of the year, you guys were doing some reporting on things you were hearing about Scott potentially leaving, and that led to a tweet from Scott himself uh, on January 3rd in which he said, I've heard from friends contacted by an online pharma news pub, which parenthetically I consider a slight, that's preparing a story speculating that I'm leaving FDA. I want to be very clear. I'm not leaving, blah, blah, blah. And then he has a screenshot of a semi-apocryphal quote from Mark Twain. So what happened between uh, your reporting and that tweet? And, and what is Scott talking about? Yeah, so I want to make it clear that Stat is way more than just an online pharma news pub. <laughs> so long as they're talking about us, man. But yeah, so the backstory in all this is kind of fascinating. We, meaning Stat, had received a, uh, a pretty reliable tip. Uh, I guess it was sort of towards the end of last year that Scott had been confiding with people in D.C. about his plans to leave the agency. And what everything that we had heard at that time was that, you know, he was kind of thinking about this and, and, and thinking about leaving towards the end of 2019. So, you know, hearing this kind of thing, that's that's a nice big scoop to have. And so we started making uh, calls about it. Right, Matt? Well, and we ran to a lot of people who knew someone who knew someone who had heard this from Scott. We are doing journalism, so that's not good enough. And we were looking for people who directly had had those conversations. And um, then we got this very, very strong denial from Scott himself in a public sphere. But th there was certainly something in the air that he was thinking that the timing we was were hearing was that he might not last the year. It was not really as imminent as this. So it's interesting that he went so rapidly from publicly denying that he was going to leave to leaving. Yeah. So, you know, I think the reasons that Scott 
is leaving the FDA, it's like life. It's complicated. And and the family stuff is certainly true based on the reporting that we had been doing. But again, let's kind of talk about maybe why he decided to leave this week. And and the feeling is that there's maybe a little bit more to it, right? Well, the shutdown wore on him. So he just come out of what had been a really difficult thing for him. And Scott is a guy who knows Washington and was there last time there was a Democratic Congress and a Republican president. And he knows the FDA can easily become a target. Uh, It's usually not the president's first priority to protect, and that makes it an easy thing to attack. He may have felt he'd had this amazing two-year run and that it was his reputation was only going to get more tarnished by hanging around. Also, two years is actually a respectable length of time for an FDA commissioner if you look at past tenures. And I think the e-cigarette stance that he took, a very tough stance against the industry, um, sounds like it may have played a role as well. The New York Times reported pretty high in their story uh, that Gottlieb had been facing pressure from Republicans in Congress and leaders of the conservative movement regarding that stance. And so I think it's not inconceivable that among the other constellation of of reasons that played into his decision, uh, the notion that he couldn't get as much done as he wanted to on that issue uh, may have factored in as well. So the e-cigarette thing is particularly fascinating because I think, you know, if we recall when Scott first came in, he articulated a lot of goals for reforming the FDA with respect to drug approvals. And I think he could look back and say that he checked most of those boxes in that two years. But with e-cigarettes, he mounted a very large offensive, it seems like, fairly recently. And now he's leaving with that seeming like unfinished business. And we found a clip of Gottlieb talking about this issue in, I think, very strong terms, terms that we haven't always seen federal officials be willing to use. Uh, Here's Gottlieb appearing on CNBC's show Squawk Box this past October. Certainly in a setting of kids where you're addicting them to nicotine, potentially a lifelong addiction to nicotine, that's something that we can't tolerate. And we now have data that shows that a proportion of people, kids, who become addicted to nicotine through e-cigarettes are going to migrate onto combustible tobacco. So that was Gottlieb himself on e-cigarettes. He picked tobacco as a big issue from the start. Now, what I've heard is that Scott was actually embracing a lot of the thinking that was coming out of the FDA's tobacco center. And initially, this could have been a boon to e-cigarette makers, but there was this problem with a company called Juul and with some other makers that these e-cigarettes, which had all sorts of flavors that were appealing to children, were, instead of being something that current smokers switched to, potentially reducing their risks, they were something that teens were starting on and becoming newly addicted. And Scott really reacted passionately and with a voice that really seemed to represent what was going on at the FDA. So this became a big topic for him. And it does seem like it may have started to run into resistance. So if he wasn't going to stick around for the long haul, he may have decided that this wasn't going to get finished anyway, that it wasn't a reason to stay. And we've heard a lot of gossip about that from people, but we really don't know the degree to which this played into his thinking. So Gottlieb has indicated that he's going to stay around for about another month. Uh, After that, I guess we'll be looking for 
a new FDA commissioner. So, Damien, who are some of the people uh, or names that are being bandied about? Right. So we hear it's at the the famed online pharma news pub that the commissioner loves so well, put together a, a short list of names that we'd been hearing or that had heard in the past. And I think they fit into like three categories. And number one are the sort of safe picks, the contenders who, you know, would fit within kind of the dogma of replacing a guy like Scott. I think, you know, chief among them is Amy Abernathy, um, who used to work in industry, much like Scott did, and became Scott's deputy commissioner earlier this year, who seems like, you know, you could argue much like Margaret Hamburg picked Robert Califf as her deputy before she left, that maybe Amy is Scott's kind of chosen successor? I don't know. What do we think about that? I don't know that that's entirely clear. I mean, one thing that's interesting is that Amy wasn't mentioned as an interim replacement immediately, and that there's there's a process that seems to be happening. She is an obvious choice in a lot of ways, particularly because she is the deputy commissioner. It is worth noting that often presidents have tended to choose people who've worked in health, health policy, who have been public health commissioners, or in Gottlieb's case, had kind of been in the FDA orbit for a long time. Uh, so it's it's interesting to think about how much Amy does and doesn't fit that mold. Um, but she is she's very, very smart, and she has connections not only to Gottlieb, but to Califf, uh, who thinks the world of her. And Matt, along the lines of kind of bringing somebody into the FDA who has that sort of health policy experience, we've heard the director of the National Cancer Institute or certain people who have worked in HHS right now as potential successors? So the fun part of this brainstorming process is it allowed us all to go back in time to late 2016, early 2017, when no one really knew anything about what a Trump presidency was going to look like. So open cabinet seats seemed to be open to people who, you know, in years past would have no place in federal government. And that means that a few names, uh, some pretty hardcore libertarian names who had been considered back before Scott was named, have kind of resurfaced. Um, among them is Jim O'Neill, who famously is an associate of Peter Thiel and believes in seasteading, which is the idea that as long as you're out in the ocean, you can sort of form your own society. And then slightly uh, less on that fringe is a guy named Joe Golfo, who had also suggested pretty sweeping changes to FDA dogma that would allow drugs to be approved as long as they had proven themselves safe, not necessarily efficacious. Whether those names will be taken seriously, who's whispering in the ear of the president, we don't know. But because Scott is leaving, it kind of reopens that vacuum. And those names that we mentioned are the are the kind of people that really give the industry and and Wall Street panic attacks. That's where a lot of the fear uh, and uncertainty will sort of ratchet higher, because, I mean, these are the guys that people just really do not want running the FDA. And I think my favorite name that's been floated came from the aforementioned Mizuho group survey. Uh, the folks there asked respondents uh, about names that they'd potentially like to see or think might ultimately get the job. And one respondent, perhaps trolling, floated the name Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law. And I want to note here that a couple of people on Twitter have said that I would make a good FDA commissioner. So I <laughs> <laughs> if you are, we better get the scoop. Damien and I will uh, co-byline it. <laughs> so on that note, let's pivot to uh, Scott Gottlieb's legacy. And like we said at the top, thinking along the lines of Comedy Central, we should roast Scott Gottlieb a little bit. So guys, what I want you to do is close your eyes, and I'm going to say the word Scott Gottlieb, and then what comes to mind immediately? I remember him standing in a field surrounded by farmers 
wearing what could only be described as painted on jeans and a pair of Timberland boots that might have been 30 seconds removed from their original packaging. And it reminded me of, do you remember when John Kerry um, dressed in camouflage to go hunting in, I believe it was Ohio? He was so magnificently out of place in his like seven for all mankind, 2% elastane jeans. And that, that to me is sort of the platonic ideal of my FDA commissioner. I think it's fair to say that Scott Gottlieb is the only member of the Trump administration to ever wear skinny jeans. He's also probably the biggest hipster ever to be an FDA commissioner. I mean, not only did Scott wear skinny jeans to a farm, he also had amazing socks and he has chickens, backyard chickens. I mean, like, I know he's in Connecticut, but he could fit it right in Brooklyn or Queens with me and Damien. In fact, Gottlieb has joked about being on the cover of the magazine Backyard Poultry. He posted a kind of photoshopped image of a cover featuring his face on the front on Twitter, uh, which prompted a lot of jokes. It also, in the New York Times story about him stepping down, led reporters there to believe that that was real. In fact, they reported straight that he was on the cover of Backyard Poultry. He was not, but he clearly (laughs) created that impression. Oh, that that is fantastic trolling right there. He did have, I mean, he was also an extremely online man, um, which Rebecca, you actually cataloged his incredible propensity for putting out uh, statements on the internet, but he was also internet conversant. Let's not put a fine point on this. He fought on Twitter with one Mr. Adam Furstein. We did fight about uh, the Thanksgiving leftovers. And, you know, I I was, I think I I was eating like leftover turkey and mashed potatoes like five days after Thanksgiving. And Scott admonished me for for keeping leftovers that long. He thought I was, you know, I was going to get food poisoning. Which is to say that he's a nanny state sort of controlling Orwellian uh, administrator and we won't miss him. But seriously, though, beyond um, his menswear choices, what what about his legacy with respect to one thing we haven't talked about, which is generic drug approvals, which is another thing he came in really strong on in, in 2017 taking the role? Oh, we're, we're going to talk about serious things, too, here. Well, I mean, I think complex generics are hysterical. Um, Scott came in. Talking about complex generics, products products that are difficult to make and you weren't getting enough generic suppliers. And to some extent, he seems to have accomplished that. The generic approvals came up, but also things like generic Advair actually are happening. And there were new guidances uh, put out around that. And that's that's a big accomplishment that I think we'll be hearing about or, or feeling in the industry for a long time. Yeah. And on that note, you know, the FDA doesn't play a role in drug pricing uh, the way regulators in Europe do. But I think Scott wanted to play a part in in drug pricing. And, and the way he did that in sort of a free market approach was trying to, you know, boost the number of generic drugs approved, um, paving the way for biosimilars to hit the market. And, and I think that was the way he felt like he could have an impact on drug pricing by bringing more co- competition to the market. The biosimilar issue, though, really hasn't been settled. It's still not clear what the pathway for biosimilars to actually get used. You know, there was this idea early in the Trump administration that more drugs would mean more competition. I think those of us who cover branded drugs know that when we have record high numbers of drug approvals, you also seem to get higher branded prices. And I'll note, too, that Silicon Valley liked Gottlieb quite a bit. He was seen as you know, sort of willing to make changes to make it easier to get 
digital health products, medical software through the FDA. And so I think he'll be missed quite a bit by some of those digital health entrepreneurs who had been working closely with his FDA uh, to try to streamline those approvals and clearances. Yeah, and I would say just like a stepping way back, I mean, if you think about the two years that he's been in office or served as the commissioner of the FDA, I would say that, you know, he's probably the most high profile impactful FDA commissioner that we've seen probably since uh, like David Kessler in the early to mid 1990s. Matt, do you have any thoughts about that? Well, certainly in terms of high profile, um, I think a lot of FDA commissioners faded into the woodwork. And one of Gottlieb's main kind of innovations as FDA commissioner was that he didn't do that. He, He got right out there and and made everything seem important. Guidance documents that would have just drifted around with nobody reading them became news events. A lot of FDA commissioners have had a lot of impact, so I think judging that we may all need a little more distance, but certainly in terms of getting the conversation going and getting and using it to get things done, he really uh, he really created a new mold. And I think it's helpful to think about Gottlieb's legacy in the backdrop of the Trump administration, which in many other realms has been very dysfunctional. I think, you know, Gottlieb brought this professionalism, this activism to a corner of an administration where things have been a mess, to put it lightly. Uh, And so I think when you compare it to other agencies, uh, other parts of the government during the past two years, that these accomplishments stand out even more. So what do you guys think Scott does next other than spend time with his family? I see him taking a role in industry. Maybe simply going back to being a venture capitalist, perhaps eventually becoming a CEO of a company based in Connecticut. There's also the possibility he could run for office. Uh, There are no Senate seats uh, in Connecticut, his home state open in 2020. But there is a Senate race in 2022. Democratic Senator Richard Blumenthal is up for re-election. It would be a tough run in Connecticut as a Republican, albeit a centrist Republican. But it's conceivable he could get into the race. That's interesting, and and we've you know we've heard kind of just people speculating about him running for office. And you know, 2022, like, he has enough time between now and then to you know make money as a lot of these guys do. Uh, you know, consult probably do some writing, you know, uh, and then, you know, and then kind of launch, uh, you know, a political career, uh, you know, a couple of years down the road. Well, that's an interesting facet of the sort of myth of Scott Gottlieb as he came in, which was that he seemed like a guy who longed to be FDA commissioner for like his entire life. And he showed up almost like just this finished product, both in terms of the product in his hair and the sort of personality he put forth. And I think we've kind of touched on that, how he was a sort of platonic ideal of the FDA commissioner. So it'll be interesting now that he retreats to the hinterlands of Connecticut, like, will he miss the spotlight? Like some some aspect of, of the Gottliebian aura has somewhat tied to ego. He likes going on TV. He likes having so many Twitter followers. I wonder, you know, will he struggle with going back to being like Ray Liotta and Goodfellas, just a schnook? So maybe the last thing that we should mention about Scott Gottlieb is his weird obsession with well done or overcooked meat. I think this is only you, Adam. I mean, you're just mad that he keeps telling you to overcook your hamburgers. Of course I meant hamburgers. Of course I meant hamburgers. That's a good place, I think, to wrap up our discussion about Gottlieb's legacy and to bid goodbye for today to Matt. Matt, thank you, as always, for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. We're now going to go honor Scott by eating some well-done hamburgers. (laughs) (laughs) 
Except for Damien, who's a vegetarian, and me, because I don't eat well-done meat. <laughs> yeah, I don't eat well-done meat either. I've been doing low-carb, so I can't have the bun. So it's really going to be awful. <laughs> does it for another episode of the read out loud thank you to hyacinth abonado who produced this week's episode matthew orr is our senior producer and rick burke is our executive producer and as always we would love to hear from you you can wish this podcast a happy birthday you can tell us what you thought of gottlieb's tenure or you could let us know who you want to see replace him you can do all of that by sending us an email at readoutloud at statnews.com and we do appreciate the feedback so thank you And of course, if you like what we do, please leave a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you use to get your podcasts. And Rebecca Damien, it's been an honor and pleasure working with you over the last year on these podcasts. Uh, And uh, we'll be back next week. 